The wheel of time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the third age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. Hi, I'm Will. This is my wife, Dallas. Hi! This is Not the Beginning, a podcast where I, a longtime Wheel of Time fan, and my wife, Dallas, someone who's never read the series before, read through each of the 14 books in this very long series. A warning, this podcast might not be suitable for younger audiences and will contain spoilers. If you've not read The Eye of the World, please proceed with caution. On this first episode of Not the Beginning, we will be diving in and discussing the prologue and the first five chapters of Eye of the World. Note, I have not read past chapter five, and Will is not is going to do his best to not bring in anything from the rest of the Eye of the World or the other 13 books in the series. So as long as you've read through chapter five, you should be good. If you haven't, I recommend pausing here and going and reading them. Or don't, you know, you do you. So the prologue starts with a man named Louis Theron Telemon. Louis Theron. Louis Theron. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce any of this, so this is going to be fun. The names here are awful. <laughs> yeah, they're weird. So Louis Theron Telemon wakes up in a decrepit castle, clearly ravaged by some sort of battle. And he wanders around the palace in search of his wife. And in his search for his wife, he meets a man dressed in black who introduces himself as... Elon Morin Tedronai? That's right. Cool. Also known as the Betrayer of Hope, the Betrayer calls Luz the Dragon and a Kinslayer, then blames him for the destruction of the castle and his wife's death. And in his despair, he reaches out to something called the True Source and travels to an empty field. Then he reaches out to the One Power again, but draws too much of it and turns himself into a volcano. Yeah. So after that confusion, chapter one opens with Randall Thor walking through the woods with his father, Tam. They are on their way to Emmons Field with casks of brandy and cider for Beltine, the spring festival. While they're walking, Rand sees an unsettling black cloaked figure on a horseback in the distance. Tam does not see the rider, however, and when Rand looks for him again, the rider is gone. Rand convinces himself that he was probably just seeing things and they continue along to town. They get to the inn where Rand meets up with his friend Matt Coffin. Matt tells him that he also saw the hooded figure the night before and believes it might be the Dark One. Rand gets Matt to help him bring the casks of alcohol into the inn and they discuss the Gleeman and the Peddler that are coming for the Beltine Festival. As they carry the casks into the inn, they notice that it is filled with members of the village council and then when they're done with the casks they meet Ewan Fingar right? I think okay a boy their age who tells them about two strangers in the village a highborn lady and a man in a green cloak who he believes to be a hired soldier Rand, Matt, and Ewan go to find the Gleeman who's rumored to be in town but instead they, instead they find Moraine the highborn lady that Ewan was telling about, them about she gives them each a silver coin in exchange for agreeing to help her when she asks in the future. Ewan is excited to spend his coin, but Rand and Matt decide not to. 
and they make their way back to the inn where they meet up with their friend Perrin. The peddler Padden Fane arrives at the inn and brings stories of troubles across the world. Stuff like the Great Blight, Harsh Winters, and war in... Gildan. Thank you. Fane claims that the dragon has also been reborn in a man who is capable of wielding the one power. He says that the Aes Sedai are already working to defeat him. The village council steps in and takes the peddler into the inn to interview him. Rand, Matt, and Perrin discuss the news when Nynaeve, the Wisdom, and Egwene interrupt them. Nynaeve gets them to tell her the peddler's news, then sets off to help the village council in interrogating him. Egwene stays behind to talk with Rand, who apparently has a crush on her. They get in a bit of an argument over her training to be a wisdom for another town, but that fight is derailed over the news that Perrin, too, received a coin from Moraine and saw the mysterious writer that Rand and Matt saw. They're discussing the writer, and the gleeman named Tom Marilyn runs out of the inn as if he's being chased, which he was by Nynaeve. Uh, he gives them and the small group of people gathered around them a small show of his talents before the festival the next day. Lan, the hired hand of Moraine, and Maureen join the crowd, stopping the impromptu performance. Then, when the village council exits the inn along with the peddler and Nynaeve, Tom ducks into the pub. Tam tells Rand, Matt, and Perrin that the peddler didn't have much more information from the council for the council, but they're going to nearby areas to keep watch. Tam then tells Rand that they're heading back to the farm instead of staying in town for the night. As Tam goes to prep the cart, Rand, Matt, and Perrin make a plan to find others who have seen the cloaked horsemen so that they can tell the council about them. When Rand and Tam are on their way back to the farm, Tam then admits that he believes Rand about the writer and informs him that several other young men have seen the writer as well, which is why they're heading home early, so that they can protect their farm. When they get to the farm, Tam and Rand set about doing the necessary work, then head inside for dinner. Tam tells Rand to lock the doors for the first time in Rand's memory, then goes upstairs to retrieve a sword that Rand has never seen before for protection. As they're getting dinner ready, a dark figure busts down their front door. The figure has horns and a muzzle and is carrying a scythe-like sword. Rand throws a kettle of boiling water at it, then runs when Tam tells him to and hides in the woods. He runs out the back door, where more of the creatures are trying to get in, and hides in the woods while Tam fends off the creatures that he later tells Rand are called Trollocs. Rand discovers that Tam is hurt, so he tells Tam to stay put while he goes to get provisions to help him so that they can get back into town for Nynaeve to heal him. Inside the house, he finds several dead Trollocs and an injured one named Narg that had been playing dead. Narg tells Rand that more Trollocs are coming, as well as a Fade named Midral? Murdral. Murdral. Then attacks. Rand is able to kill him with the sword. Then he gathers enough supplies to patch Tam's wound and make a makeshift stretcher to bring him back to town. So that was a lot. And also not a lot. Like, a lot happens, but it's not, like, monumentally huge until the last bit. Yeah, and it's a lot of description. That is something Robert Jordan is known for. He is known for being just incredibly descriptive. Yeah. So we're going to skip the prologue because I have a whole lot of questions about that. I was really confused when I first read it 
And I was like, if the rest of the book is going to be like this, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hang. But then we get to chapter one and Rand is just taking a nice walk in the woods with his dad. So yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. It's just Rand and Tam and some random creepy dude lurking. Very creepy dude. Yes. Um, very, very scary. So Rand appears to be a main character. There's so many named characters. I'm not entirely sure who's going to be important and who's not. The whole but, series has just short of 3,000 named characters. Yeah. So I'm going to just assume that Rand is important because, one, he like he opens chapter one. And, two, I've heard you mention him before, so I feel like he's important. You could say Rand is important, yeah. So he's walking through the woods with his dad. Uh, we get a description of him that he is tall, broad-shouldered, with gray eyes and red hair that he doesn't look a lot like his father at all, and is said to take after his mother, who died when he was a baby and was an outlander. Is there anything I need to know about outlanders? Uh, well, you kind of... I've read through your notes, and you pick up on it a little bit, which is that people in the Two Rivers, Emmonsfield especially, don't tend to interact with the outside world except for with, you know, the occasional peddler or glee man, which glee man is kind of like a bard. Okay, yeah, I was confused about that for a while, I think because I saw Glee Man and I was thinking G-Man, which I was like, are these cops? But then I figured out he was a bard. Tom so. is definitely not a cop. No, definitely not. No, 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 no. He's an eccentric old man. Yeah, so like Emmonsfield is kind of really a backwater of a backwater. Like they just, they're so isolated from the rest of the world that you know, they rely on peddlers for information for even something as like a couple days away, they need a peddler to give them that information. And the peddler seemed like he was a big deal. Something else I picked up about this with Rand's description is that later we find out everyone in the village has dark eyes and Rand is unique in that fact that he has light colored eyes. Yeah. Except for Lan, the hired henchman of Moraine and the Gleeman. And the Gleeman actually points out Rand's eye color. Which makes me kind of think, like that, along with the fact that he doesn't look like his dad at all. I'm feeling some Jon Snow stuff going on here. Okay. Like, I don't think his parentage is who he thinks it is. So do you think that his mother isn't his mother or that Tam isn't his father? I think that Tam isn't his father. Because okay. his mother's dead. It's just like Jon Snow. Like, Jon Snow didn't know who his mother was. That's And fair. believed that Ned was his father. Spoilers for Game of Thrones. Whoops. Sorry. But we don't see Rand's mother. No. Because she's dead. Has been for a while. And the only thing in common that Rand has with Tam is that they're broad-shouldered, which of course they are. They're farmers. Right. Like, that's not a lot, that's not a lot of information to go on. And, and actually, while we're talking about Tam, Tam is one of my favorite characters in the whole series because Tam is just so down to earth. Tam is hearing about this, like, false dragon and you know weird stuff happening around the village and this strange hooded figure and tam's just like better go home i get that i don't trust him sort of i think partially because of the john snow thing like i just get okay. john snow vibes and i don't i don't think tam is who he says he is he does have that sword that he has that sword and i guess we'll just we'll skip there because we, we brought it up so, at the end, a bunch of Trollocs come in. 
these nasty horned creatures with a really good sense of smell, but sensitivity to light, as Rand, or as Tam tells Rand. For this small town that doesn't know a lot, he, he seems to know a lot about Trollocs, seeing as Rand didn't even think Trollocs existed. That's, that's true. It, it could have been kind of folk stories, you know, like even at that point, you've heard of several folk stories that they've told. They've talked a little bit about uh, folk stories about Aes Sedai, about the dragon, about the Dark One, and it's pretty backwatery again. And so, like, Tam definitely seems to have more specific information that m- might not have come from a folk story. Right. And he's got this sword, which he's able to take out at least four or five Trollocs. Yeah, and they're they're big. They're big with this sword, which when Rand takes it later to protect himself to go get stuff because Tam got hurt, he uses this sword to try to cut up some wood so that he can make a stretcher for his dad. Quotes. <laughs> it's his dad. Sus. He uses this sword to try to hack at the cart that is broken to get wood, and the sword doesn't dull. Nope. So this, is, this isn't just some sword that he got from a peddler like his story was. This sword is clearly he didn't, quite fancy. He didn't say, I, I, since I, I went back and read it, he doesn't say that he got it from a peddler. He just said the cost was too high, which maybe adds to the suspicion. Yeah, what cost? We're not talking about money here, clearly. And he's not just a farmer, because if... A regular old farmer would not be able to take out four Trollocs. That's not with a sword. They wouldn't. Not with a sword. In in the two rivers, maybe with a bow. Maybe. Actually, almost certainly with a bow. But hand to hand combat is not what these people would be known for. No, and Trollocs are like fifty percent larger and bulkier than like a strong person. Right, and they've got horns. Some of them have horns. Some of them have wolf ears. Some of them have, like, pig snouts. They're kind of like a mismatch of human and bestial features. Mm. Yeah. Uh, They're a little bit more interesting, I think, than orcs, at least. As, like, random evil henchman person. I guess. Narg talks. And then there's that other thing at the beginning of chapter one that Rand says about remember the flame. And it's something that he says Tam taught him. And... He says, it's an odd thing that Tam taught him. Concentrate on a single flame and feed all your passions into it. Fear, hate, anger, until your mind becomes empty. Become one with the void, Tam said, and you could do anything. Nobody else in Emmons Field talked that way. The flame and the void. Okay, so like, nobody else in Emmons Field talked that way. Nope. Clearly, Tam's been out there. Yeah, I mean, how else do you think he met his wife? But, I mean, she could have come to town. Could she have, though? And also, that's a whole lot of, like, Jedi mind trick kind of stuff that just a farmer wouldn't know. It's an odd thing for a farmer to know, for sure. It uh, The Flame of the Void always struck me as very, very meditation-esque. Yeah, and it just, it, like, Jedi mind tricks, especially when you've got the, you've got it partnered with a guy with a sword that doesn't dull. And yeah. all of his, like... You said you liked him because he's super mellow and he faces things without a whole lot of worry, which is good for a village council member. It is. That's what you want. The rest of the village council and the rest of the town is freaked out by everything that the peddler comes to tell them. Yeah, and especially towards the end, uh, like the reason they go back to the farm and you kind of 
figure out all these things about Tam with the sword and his ability to take on multiple Trollocs. Rand, Matt, Perrin, and a couple of the other younger members of Emmons Field saw that hooded figure just kind of lurking. Just hanging out, being creepy, and clearly that's some sort of threat for Tam to be like, we're not going to stay here, we're going to come back for the festival, we're going to go home and make sure that the farm is safe. Right, he didn't, and he mentions the sheep when it comes to this figure too. Like, if it was just some guy that they were afraid might break into the house, why would they also be worried about all their livestock? Yeah, and especially, it paid off, especially with Trollocs, because uh, I think they make, I think he makes it pretty clear that, like, Trollocs don't give a shit. I think all the sheep are dead. Does it say anything about the sheep? I think, I think it might have said, like, when Rand was creeping around, he said that he didn't hear any of the sheep, and if the sheep had noticed something like that was going on he would hear the sounds of distressed sheep so i'm just gonna assume all the sheep are dead rip sheep rip sheep so the reason they were in town you know they they had to leave town uh was this Beltine festival yes um i have lots of notes about that um it sounds like a cross between austera and beltane to me that's probably because it kind of is um it, it's at the same. It's on the same day as Ostera, which is Sunday. Um, yep. Happy Bell time, guys! But it celebrates the coming of spring and new birth. There's contests and singing and dancing. People doing spring cleaning. Fireworks. Fireworks. There's a, That's there's a big a, deal. It's a big deal. There's a huge rumor about fireworks, but there's also a maypole, which the single women. <laughs> The single women dance around while the single men sing. There is a line in the book about how all of the women who, the unmarried women of age, dance the pole. Uh, and I can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, that was poor phrasing. A little bit. <laughs> but it's kind of a fun festival, right? Like, it's, it like is a combination of, uh, like you said, Ostera and Beltane, but also it has a lot of Easter and Christmas in it. Well, Ostera is Easter. It has specific Easter references. And kind of this is what, what the Wheel of Time does, what, what Robert Jordan does in the Wheel of Time a lot. And you get some more of this through Tom. He takes a bunch of real-world things, uh, traditions, all of the holidays, all of this stuff, and just kind of, like, mashes them up. And like I said at the very beginning, this is not the first time this is you know, this is not the first turning of the wheel. So the reason you see a lot of these um, kind of like echoes of real life holidays is because he takes inspiration from them and kind of twists it as though it was a tradition many thousands of years ago that's kind of held on through echoes. Right. So, and one of the things that is mentioned when Rand is having this inner monologue about Beltine is that this year the cold was still hanging on. And usually they didn't have the Beltine Festival until spring actually came, but no one felt like postponing it this year, which goes along with what the peddler said about long winters. Yeah. When he was going on about all of this news, Beltine kind of acts as a catalyst for a lot of what happens in this section of it. Because, you know, Beltine is this big festival, so obviously a peddler would want to come to town because all the people are there. He can sell all of his goods. And with the peddler comes all of this news. 
and a gleeman comes to town for the festival. And with him also comes news and stories and introduction of lore. And there's also these strangers in the village. Yeah, I, I was going to say, the only people who don't seem to have anything to do with this Beltine festival are Lan and Moraine. They're just kind of there. Under the pretense that they're there for the festival, it sh- could seem. But I don't think that they're there for the festival. Yeah, and I don't think she ever says that they're there for the festival. I don't think so. I think that's just something that the town assumes, assumes yeah. which they're going with. And if I were them, I would too. I don't I don't believe that Moraine is a highborn lady. I think that she is something else, especially when we get her description. So she is described as having dark hair, unbraided like the rest of the girls in the village. So it goes to show that she's not from here. A sky blue cloak that's heavily embroidered, dark blue and cream dress. A heavy gold chain around her ne- around her neck, a delicate gold chain in her hair, and a gold belt weaved around her waist. She also has a ring, which has the symbol of the Great Serpent. It's gold, and it is of a serpent biting its own tail. And something that Rand comments is that it's an even older symbol for the eternity of the Wheel of Time. That's another uh, kind of reference to the real world. Right, you see these uh, snakes biting their own tails, Ouroboros, everywhere. And they all represent infinity or eternity or something like that. So clearly, I don't think that she's just some sort of highborn lady. There's lots of... She definitely has, a, a, if if not an actual uh, noble lineage, she has an air of nobility. Because the first time that Rand meets her, it's commented that she's pretty short. But instead of Rand feeling like she's short, he just feels like he's too tall. Like she's the right height and he's too tall. She kind of has this air of control around her. Everything around her goes her way. I mean, people have said that he's too tall. He is the tallest in the village. Yeah, but he doesn't necessarily feel too tall. It's just commented that he is tall. Yeah. And when Rand and Matt encounter her for the first time and i'm just going to ignore ewan because he doesn't seem important so rand and matt meet her when they notice this raven and the raven comes up a lot of times and i don't i haven't figured out what the raven is about i just know it's important bird motifs maureen hates birds um she hates ravens she hates ravens so she comments on how ravens are these nasty creatures And then hands these three boys a silver coin in payment for something she hasn't asked them to do yet. And then says, there is a bond between them now. That's a real weird way to talk. And also, why is she giving more money than these, like, farm children have seen in... That's more money than they would see in a year. Valor Mergulis? (laughs) What, What really amuses me about that whole scene is, like, instantly, like, Rand, Matt, and Ewan are, like... They just, like, fall in love with this random woman. They're like, oh my god, you are amazing. And so much so to that, the point, like, Rand and Matt, their first instinct on seeing this very large sum of money to them is to go, nope, not spending it, ever. And Ewan, Ewan, who is, for context, Rand and Matt are, I'd say they're, like, around, like, 19 or so. Oh, I thought they were younger. Okay. Uh, they, They might be a little younger, um... I assumed like 16, 17. They're somewhere in their late teens. In, you know, a fantasy world, they're probably adults because what is childhood when you have to work on a farm for when you're eight? But Rand and Matt are 
both just like, I'm not going to spend this coin. And Ewan, who's a little younger than they are, is like, ooh, money. I'm going to spend it on cool things. And Rand and Matt are both just like, yeah, go ahead. You can do that. That's fine. And I think it's because they don't want to let go of this bond. I, I definitely think there's something there. I think they both don't know what to do about it. And then when they meet Perrin later, Perrin also got a coin. And it doesn't seem like he's going to spend it either. So, I don't know, Moraine I mean, is... I guess to be fair, like, if if I, like, went to the, like, local bar and the Queen of England was there and, like, gave me, like, a pound note, I'd be like, I'm not going to spend this pound. The Queen of England gave it to me. Do you have a crush on the Queen of England that I don't know about? I don't, but she's the Queen of England. So, I don't know, the Queen of England gives you money. You might want to hold on to it. That's fair. The queen doesn't carry money, though. No, it would be a little weird to carry around just, like, a wallet full of pictures of you. That, too. But also, she doesn't touch with money, which makes me also think that while Moraine has this air of regality to her, if she were truly of nobility, nobility don't carry money themselves. That's what their hired person is for. True. So Why didn't Land give them money? Right. And also, why was Land not standing there at the time? He was kind of just off doing his own thing so if he really was her hired henchman he would not leave her side but he's just off doing things lan is definitely a very interesting character you would think that in this scene where he's introduced he would speak anything spoken in the five chapters that i've seen no he's just kind of it's kind of like a wall yeah of physically he's kind of described that way he's described as big and very solid and wolfish and wearing a dark green cloak which i don't know if it's a spoiler but what i that i know very little about the wheel of time i'll preface this i know very little about the wheel of time but i do know that will here does a cosplay of matt yep and matt wears a green jacket with a wolf necklace and so when i just saw green and the description of a wolf and the guy carries a sword and i'm just kind of like Whatever this guy is, and so Ewan thinks that he's a warder. So my questions are like, what is a warder? And does Matt become one later? There are things that I could correct you on about the cosplay, but won't because it becomes important later. You're wrong about some of that stuff. Is it a fox? It is a fox head. Okay. So now Did I we don't buy a wolf head? No, you bought a fox head. Okay. But yeah, Ewan thinks he's a warder, and warders are a very important thing in the Wheel of Time. And they describe a little bit about a warder and that they fight things, and that makes me also think that maybe Tam was a warder. Okay, uh, I can definitely see how you might think that here. I'm trying to word word <laughs> things very carefully so as to not spoil anything for you in, in either direction, right? Like, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Who knows? Read and find out. Yeah, read and find out. Robert Jordan's favorite phrase. And now Brandon Sanderson's favorite phrase. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you'll find out about Lan that is really interesting. His character is... uh, He is also one of my favorite characters. Um, I love so many characters from The Wheel of Time. It's hard to pick a, well, a true There are 3,000, so... It's easy, right? They're, you know, just throw a dartboard at fantasy characters and you might hit a Wheel of Time one because there are 3,000 of them. But um, kind of going back to something you, you picked on earlier about Moraine is one of the ways that Rand and the others know it's clear that she's not from the village is that she doesn't have braided hair. Yeah, I, I have lots of questions about the women in Wheel of Time. Yeah. Okay, like... I get is just the braided hair just it is it just like a village thing kind of like the Dothraki wear braids 
to show that the battles that they've won and women have braided hair to show that they can now get married and I think have and not it's not just get married because it seems like the women in this town and in this universe have more power it seems like a matriarchy in some ways yes uh, uh real brief I think uh even from the bit that you've seen of Nynaeve uh I think the idea of Nynaeve's braid representing battles won would would very much appeal to her. <laughs> um, yeah, she tugs on it a lot. Oh boy. Um, so there's definitely some interesting setting things with the women of the Wheel of Time. Robert Jordan isn't always the best at writing women in that he tends to write a lot of women who act kind of similarly. And that like archetype is Nynaeve. The, I'm going to hit people over the head with my stick when they call me too young to be the wisdom. Yeah, she, she like, absolutely takes no shit at all. She has a bull-like competency. Yes. Um, and so the women in the Wheel of Time are in a very different world than we experience now. Uh, for one thing, it's, you know, vaguely Middle Ages set. For another thing, there are things in the history of the Wheel of Time that lead women to have a lot more power historically. Right. There was something about when the peddler came to town and said that this dragon reborn can channel the one power. And a bunch of the villagers said that that's not possible, that only women can channel the one power. Right. So the the one power is kind of the magic system in the Wheel of Time. Okay, that was one of my questions. Um, it's, it's kind of my favorite. It is broken down into one part that has not been named yet, which so I won't name it quite yet. Mm-hmm. And another part, which has been named in the prologue, Sidene. Yeah, it was the masculine half of it. Yeah, so it's broken, it's it's kind of broken into two parts. There's a male half and a female half. And kind of the, the general idea is that both halves work together, pushing on and pulling against each other to make the world happen. Okay, I'm getting lots and lots of pagan and Wiccan vibes from this, and I'm oh, kind of digging it. So... I'm, I'm, I don't know how, how spoilery this is, but it's setting, so it's not too impactful. In setting, women, both men and women can channel their respective halves of the one power. However, the male half, Sidene, is tainted. It touches on that a little bit in the, the prologue. Um, yeah, a little bit. I was very confused about the prologue, so we might just need to dissect that as a whole. Yeah, uh, so Sidene is tainted, and men that channel or can channel Sidene inevitably go insane at some point. And then turn themselves into volcanoes. Um, yeah, not always. Sometimes they do other things. Uh, but they, they inevitably go insane, and that's why women who could channel the one power the one power, Aes Sedai, are... Oh, are the Aes Sedai women? Yes. All yes! Of them, all of the Aes Sedai are women. The Aes Sedai are the most important faction in the world of the Wheel of Time. People seem to be terrified of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you be? If some random woman came up to you who could throw fireballs and summon lightning was just like, hey, what's up? Would You'd kind of... You'd leave. Yeah, probably. Especially if I was in a small town that only people could get to by crossing over a bridge or going through the mountains of mist. Right, and there are not very many of them, and so there are a bunch of rumors, and a lot of those rumors center around the event called the Breaking of the World, where Aes Sedai broke the world. <laughs> um, well, the dragon started it, from y- yes. what I gathered. Is the Breaking of the Volcano? That was, my, that was my big, like, I was like, okay, the prologue really throws you in deep and oh, yes. says a bunch of stuff. 
like the betrayer of hope the dragon the ring of tamerlan the nine rods of dominion yep the true source is that part of the one power so one of my problems with the magic system in the wheel of time is is some of the naming um the the one power comes from the true source i'm making a very confused face right now and i realize that you guys can't see that because this is audio yeah uh it gets a little bit worse later something else is introduced that is kind of annoyingly named but yes the one the, the one power comes from the true source okay a lot of that stuff in the prologue you can actually kind of throw out um, oh good um uh, the, the ring of tamerlin is a little bit of an interesting thing to keep a keep an eye on just from a setting perspective is the prologue more like a prologue for the entire series yes so we'll probably touch back on some of that stuff a lot of the stuff yes okay you you learn a lot more about elon morin tedranai and luz theron telamon or sometimes called luz theron kinslayer the dragon but as to him becoming a volcano that sort of was and wasn't the breaking. The breaking was much larger than just one guy becoming a volcano. It, there it was, was this whole. It seems like there was this whole war that he was responsible for. So he was already going insane before he turned himself into a volcano. He was already insane. So in the prologue, um, he seemed kind of crazy because he was walking around this. He was walking around the palace and talking about his wife. And then when he meets the betrayer of hope, he's like, "Oh, where's my wife so that she can prepare snacks." It's like, do you not see the ruined castle around you? No one's preparing snack. You're co- the place is covered with dead bodies. Yep. Uh, and that was him that did it. He killed all of those people in a mad rage. Um, and one of the things, the thing that kind of breaks Luz Theron is um, this other person, the betrayer of hope, heals him of his madness temporarily so that he can see what he's done. And what he did is kill all of his family. Oh, that makes so much more sense now. Yeah, and so <laughs> he, so in like his grief and madness, he, a man of immense power, leaves, goes to a field, and kind of overdoses on the one power. Yeah, and blows up and becomes a volcano. Oh, that makes so much more sense now. That was helpful. So that was part of the breaking. Yes. They mentioned the breaking several times, and there's this fight about whether it was the dragon or the Aes Sedai. Right. That, I'm never going to pronounce that right. Aes Sedai. Aes Sedai. It's going to be one of those words that I'm never going to get right. That, the Aes Sedai, the name of the Aes Sedai actually comes from uh, Irish folklore. Um, there's a group with a similar spelled name that I cannot pronounce because it's Irish, and who knows how to pronounce anything in Irish? nonsense language um but it's it's basic it's based on a group of like supernaturally powered women so the they were both responsible for the breaking and the dragon reborn i'm guessing it has to do with what the betrayer of hope said at the end of the chapter was what when he said something to the dragon who was now a volcano he's talking to a volcano both are clearly insane he tells this volcano that we're not done with each other yet right well it's the wheel of time right People, ages come and pass. Events happen again and again in slightly different ways. So there, the, this, the betrayer of hope is clearly aware of the pattern, which is another thing to do with the Wheel of Time. The wheel weaves the pattern. Okay. Um, and he knows that at some point, he and the dragon will be reborn into new bodies to fight whatever fight they had and lose their include lost. 
and is this war in Gaeldine? Gaeldon? Gildon. Gildon. Is that a hint that the breaking is going to happen again? In Gildon, specifically, they're talking about someone who's claimed to be the dragon. What makes him different, and we get introduced, to, we do get introduced to this character. What, what's different about this character is that he can channel the one power. That's why the Aes Sedai are there, because they're the only, you know, who's gonna, who, what foot soldier is gonna be able to fight someone, some dude throwing fireballs? So he can channel the Sidene. Sidene. Sidene, yeah. Okay. Um, that's why you, you need Aes Sedai to handle that problem. It could be a sign that the breaking is coming uh it could not be there are throughout the history of the world in, in the eye of the world multiple people who have claimed to be the dragon yeah that's what people have said it's like this is just another false dragon right so it might be another false dragon it could be the actual dragon we'll find out we'll find out so more evil things not just the dragon and the betrayer of hope but there was also a mention of the dark one and matt had thought that the hooded figure was the dark one and then the Dark One is also mentioned again when the Trollocs come. Because the Trollocs seem to serve the Dark One. Yeah. So I'm kind of leaning towards Matt's opinion that maybe this Dark figure... Was the was actual Dark One. the Dark One. Or at least... Oh, no! Things are clicking into place as we're talking. Is he a Fade? Is the Hooded figure a Fade? Because the description of a fig is they rode like shadow, they rode on shadows like horses, and then disappear when they turn sideways. And every time someone notices this thing, it's then gone in a split second. They also say that fades are twenty feet tall and have eyes of fire. That's fair, but uh, I, I'm I'm gonna give you a uh, a trademark Robert Jordan phrase: read and find out. But who is this dark one? Um, Can you answer that at least? Yeah, more or less. The Dark One is kind of like the ultimate evil. Very creatively named the Dark One. He's got other names. There's lots of ones. It's like the one true power. Yes. And for a series the that... The Dark One. For, I mean, clearly Robert Jordan has something going on with numbers. <laughs> it becomes really clear. I think the next section is when it becomes the clearest. It, it might be a little later. If 14 books of this, everything kind of runs together a little bit. So I don't remember what happens when in the eye of the world. Um, That's why you're reading after I finish reading. That is why I'm reading after you finish reading. There's you only a, have one copy of the book. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff to do with numbers. Um, and some of it, I think, is actually a really good opportunity for the TV show to move beyond it. Um, it. It's a little limiting in at least one aspect, which I, I will reveal when it is time to reveal it. There is an aspect of at least one character, trying to be as vague as possible here, that uh, is limited by kind of a law of numbers. But yes, the, the Dark One, getting, getting back on track, uh, the Dark One is kind of this like ultimate evil character. Um, that figure may or may not be the Dark One. It may or may not be a fade. So I mean... Thinking about it, these people don't think that these creatures exist, so they no. could have been blown out of proportion. They could have it been. Could have, it, they could not be 20 feet tall Yeah. and not have eyes of fire. Uh, clearly, uh, we touched on that a little bit, clearly like Rand's original perception of Trollocs is way different than what he encountered, and Tam seems to have a more specific knowledge of them. So it, it could be an aspect of, uh, you know, these people don't actually know what they are in Emmons Field. It could also be different cultures have different ideas of what a fade is yeah that, that the like 20 foot tall flaming eyes turn sideways and disappear could just be what people in the two rivers think about fades we don't know the only other named place is um gildon we don't know what people in gildon think about fades right 
There's also mention of the Forsaken and the Shadow Men. Yep. Uh, Forsaken are big. They name two of them. Uh, Ishamael, who I swear the first three times I read the series, uh, which kind of reveals that I read it more than three times, um, which is actually kind of rookie numbers for some people. Uh, I, I swear I thought Ishamael's name was Ishmael, and that's not right. He's not hunting a giant whale. <laughs> But he's named as one, and uh, so is a, a fellow named Agenor. Yes, I have those two things written down as well. Didn't yes. know what they were. I just saw things and then wrote them down because I was confused. You will learn a lot more about both of them. So they are the for they are two of the the Forsaken. Yes. What about the Shadow Men? Um, Could the guy on the horse be a Shadow Man? Because you know, I, I don't actually, I don't recall seeing that phrase in the section that we read. It could be referring to the man. Um, something you will definitely learn, and, and you know, kind of like different cultures might have different ideas of what a fade is. They might also have different names for fades. Mm. Um, at one point, uh, Narg the Trolloc, in trying to kind of entice Rand to come with him, is talking about the Murdral. Yes. What. What is what is a who is a murdral? What is a murdral? Uh, murdral is a is another word for fade. So it's not the name of this fade. No. Okay. I don't know. So Rand knew enough to know that murdral and fade are the same. Yeah, but that's kind of like knowing that. Uh, oh man, what's a what's a good example here? Two two things that are named the same, but or that have different names but are the same thing. Yeah, I don't know an example either. Yeah, I, I, I'm entirely blanking. I, I would have thought I had one ready for this, but I don't. Anyway, kind of wrapping up. Favorite moments from this section? So I have two. One has to do with Matt. One, what the heck kind of name is Matrim? A great name. <laughs> I think it, like, so Matt is becoming one of my favorite characters already because he's just sassy. And Matt plays this prank. You are in for a journey with Matt. Matt plays this prank where he coats dogs and flower to pass them off as ghost dogs and then gets of course in trouble for it because the dogs run inside someone's house and get flower everywhere and i just thought that was absolutely they don't just run inside anybody's house they run inside of the blacksmith uh master luhan's house this is something we didn't actually touch on uh perrin largely not present in this but you do get a description and his like arms are as thick as tree trunks Diggle arms. Yes. For anybody who's watched Arrow on the CW, I always imagine Perrin as having arms as thick as John Diggle's. And in it, it's also explained that his like blacksmithing master, Master Luan, and his wife both have tree trunk thick arms. And so it's just this married couple, a blacksmith and a like a, a good wife. That's what they're called. Good wives. It's a, it's a rural village. They're, they're just hanging out and they have these flowered covered dogs invade their house and... Uh, Alsbat Luhan, the wife, is displeased, to put it mildly. Yeah, I just love Matt's energy. He also gives off some bi energy, and I, that's probably not going to be a thing, because this book was written in, like, the 80s, but in my head, he has bi energy. Yeah, he definitely has some bi energy going some on. Some chaotic bi energy, too. Because, uh, I mean, he yeah, has some dogs, he lets ghost dogs free he's a pretty chaotic individual that's um, for sure but my second favorite moment it's probably a throwaway character but days threatens to kick her husband out for questioning and naive as the town's wisdom and i was just like yeah girl power yeah days is great <laughs> sort of the congers and the coplins in, in emmons field are generally not great people as is pretty 
pretty illustrated. But she does it in such a clever way, too. She's like, you'll have to get used to your own cooking, which you won't do in my house. And you'll have to get used to making your own bed, which also won't be in my house. Right. And that definitely, like, illustrates the, like, implicit power women have in the world of the Wheel of Time that they wouldn't have here. Yeah. Because in, a in like, a normal fantasy setting, that type of reaction, at least for, you know, earlier fantasy than we might see today... That type of reaction would be reserved for, like, one character who's, like, the strong woman character. Mm -hmm. She's, like, the strong wife. And instead, in the Two Rivers, it's all of them. Even Egwene, who's younger, has a little bit of that going on. Yeah. Like, she she tells Rand, like, just shut up. (laughs) Just, just, you're in over your head. Stop. Well, and of course he's gonna listen to her because he's got a big old crush. Just, just a bit. Just a bit of a big crush. Which is a little bit of an oxymoron. Your favorite moment. Uh, my favorite moment is definitely when Rand and Matt meet Moraine and just are just entirely just dazed by her. They don't know what she is, but they're about it. I am about it too. Moraine I... is great and often is near the top of my and other people's lists of favorite Wheel of Time characters. Because I'm kind of reading this through the lens of what cosplays can I do? Because you do a Wheel of Time cosplay and you've express that you want me to do one too so i'm reading it through the lens of characters i could do a cosplay of and her outfit just sounds badass she's got many great outfits very excited that's one thing i really actually kind of going on one last tangent before we wrap up that's something i really enjoy about the wheel of time is that in a lot of book series um especially fantasy from the like 90s characters have like one outfit yeah, I mean, it's accurate to the time period that usually they're written in. Like, people usually have, like, two or three dresses, and that's it. That's true. But in The Wheel of Time, and you, you like, learn so much about these outfits because Robert Jordan describes them in such great detail. There's just so many different outfits, and people change what they wear. Um, some characters change what they wear, like, wear really well based on where they are in the world. You get a really good idea of characters through their clothing, hmm. which I really like. It makes the, his best strength is his world building, and that's just one facet of it. And he does a lot of it because there's 14 books, and there were only supposed to be three. It started out as a trilogy, and then he died after book 11, and Brandon Sanderson had to finish the last three, which were intended as one book. And we have them on our shelves, and I don't understand how anybody could have written that in one book. Yeah, it's a lot. You're, you're in for a very long, although very fulfilling series. So far, I am enjoying it. This is probably going to take several years, though. Oh, yeah. Especially because I'm going to need some fluff in between. Yes. He doesn't, he doesn't do fluff. Well, this was the first section, the prologue through chapter five. The next is chapters six through ten, and things are getting real. Tam is hurt, and uh, Rand's trying to get back to the village uh, so that Nynaeve can look at his... Uh, Trolloc sword wound. Yep. Stay tuned in two weeks for that. I'm sure I will have a lot more questions. In the meantime, happy Beltine, everyone.